Heard that you guys had uh, an amazing afternoon, just been cool hearing all the reports from the different serving projects. There's been one guy in particular that I heard um, is pretty much like Jesus' cousin with how much he's been serving and stuff. And uh, everyone's sort of in awe of just his aura and his vibe. And so big shout out to Levi. That's... <laughs> It's an inside joke that a small youth group <laughs> knows about, whatever. All right, hey, uh, can I just say, I've been to lots of camps and lots of conferences and all that sort of stuff in my time, and I just want to say that what I'm experiencing here is really, really special. Like, I haven't been in an environment like this for a long, long time. Just in terms of your passion for God and your maturity, uh, it's just, it's so inspiring. Like, I'm looking around and seeing the way that you guys are worshiping the Lord and the way that you're serving and just but also the the really important things like the way that you're treating one another and caring for one another and just it's filling me with hope about the future of the church like you guys are awesome and what God is doing in you is really really special and so what I want to preach on tonight was what I actually wanted to preach on and like two or three nights time, but you guys are so up for it, we're going to go there tonight. Is that cool? Like we're not, yeah, we're, we're not mucking around at this camp. We're going, we're going hard or we're going home, right? And the reality is that, you know, uh, what we were talking about last night, just there's been such a yes and amen of like, I want to go all in. And here's the thing. If you're still being like, it's never too late. It's not like a train that's going to leave the station and then you've missed the train. God's train is always there waiting for you to get on board whenever you want. So even if it's tonight and you want to say, yes, I'm going to go all in, then join us on the train. We're having a good time. Okay, so this, I want to say, but I'm going to speak tonight to those that have said, I'm all in. I want to go hard for God. I want my life to count. And there, I want to look at the life of Joshua and look at two things that were in place in his life that enabled him to do what he did. He's one of the heroes of the faith. He's the guy that led Israel into the promised land. He is extraordinary in his faith and in what he pulled off. He saw God do extraordinary things. But there were two things in place in his life that enabled him to carry what God asked him to carry. And we find this in Joshua chapter 1, the first thing in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. God says to Joshua, once more, be strong and very courageous. And then he says this, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it day, on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Here's the number one thing, point one tonight, is that if you want to be uh, successful and prosperous for Jesus, then you need to read this book all the time. Like, reading the Bible is key to being used by God. Like, it's one thing having passion for Jesus. And passion is awesome. As you can tell, I'm passionate. I'm all over it. I'm like, 
How can you not be passionate about Jesus? He's awesome. But if you want to move from passion to power and you want to live a life that really matters, then you've got to get into this book. Now, let me explain why it's so important. Uh, many years ago, about nine years or ten years ago now, whatever it was, I met Jen, who was to be my wife. Yeah, come on. And Jen. So me and Jen were hanging out. And what happened is she turned up to the church and she was, uh, she'd come back to faith after a number of years away from the Lord. And she went all in. So she went to Bible college and she was like, I'm just going to, I want to be used by God. And so then she said, I'm going to be an intern at a church and wound up joining the church that I was co-pastoring as the intern. Now, some of you are thinking, well, how did that play out? Clearly well. <laughs> but now here's the thing. I've, I've been in full-time ministry since I was 21. And I realized at a certain point, I remember where I was, and I was 25 years old, and I was once more living back home, which is, uh, you know, what you do when you're awesome in 25. So I was single, had no money, and I'm living back at home, and I'm in full-time ministry, and I'm like, I'm never going to meet anyone. Like, it's impossible to meet anyone if you're in ministry. Because when is it appropriate to crack on to a gill? Like, when you're a pastor. Like, when? Tell me. There's nowhere. Like, if I crack on to someone in my church... That's high-stakes poker, man, because if it goes wrong, one of us is leaving the church, most likely. Uh, is it appropriate when I go speak at a camp? Matt? No. no. Okay. So I'm like, oh, and then it dawned on me, I'm never going to meet anyone because I can't crack on to anyone because I'm in full-time ministry. Okay, some of you guys are like, that's it, I'm never going into ministry, that's, that's out off this page. God can do all things. This is the, there's an end to the story, which is good. So Jen turns up at the church, and she's an intern. So I've got super strong boundaries, because you've got to, as a single guy in ministry. So literally, it was not on the table. It wasn't even an option for me to date Jen. It was just like, it was just too, it's too weird and full. It's just, the stakes are way too high. So that was, in, in hindsight, a great gift, because we became good friends. And not only that, we weren't trying to impress each other. We were just colleagues and we got on really, really well, but we had boundaries in our relationship. And so we just, anyway, but I got more and more confused as the year went on. What are these funny feelings I have towards this beautiful one? Uh, and at the end of the year, so there's a whole year, like working together every day in this church thing, my mate. Brooke, who I was leading the church with, we went out for this mandate to celebrate the end of the year, as you do, because I didn't have anyone else to go on a date with, so Brooke, I was like, bro, do you want to go out for a dinner or something on a movie, maybe, it'd be awesome, so we went out for dinner, and then he said to me, Sam, I'll never forget it, he said, over dinner, he's like, Sam, if you don't ask out Jen, you're an idiot, word for word, that's what he said, and I was like, uh, what do you mean, I'm, I don't want to be an idiot, you know, I'm clever, uh, and he's like, no, if you don't ask out Jen, you're an idiot. You guys are so well matched. You get on so well. And his words were uh, the crack in the dam that, uh, that set forth the love I had for my now wife. <laughs> and so within two days, I was head over heels in love with her. I was like, it was almost like, I can, I can, like, 
I love her. I really like her. I really, really like her. So I asked her out. Oh, man, I asked her out. Sorry, I wasn't planning on sharing all of this. This is like therapy for me. I went out. I asked her out. And I'll... <laughs> We, were, we went on this run together because we were both training for this half marathon, which is hard to believe now, but it was back then I was, I was kind of fit. And so we were on this run, and we're just about to do this half marathon. So I was really, really fit. We've been doing these big, long runs, but we did this short little 4K just as this little warm-up run before we did the marathon. And Jim was, she said to me later, I was really worried because you looked really unfit, but it's because I was so nervous because I was like, I'm going to ask her out, I'm going to ask her out, so I'm running. My heart's like, and I'm like sweating, and it's like, are you okay? And I actually don't remember remember asking her out like it's so traumatic it's kind of blanked out but she's told me that I just was really casual about it like hey we could have kind of you know go out maybe sometime or whatever whatever man I don't remember any of that but she was like okay so then uh, we um, started dating and just fell head over heels in love but the tragedy of the story is that two weeks after we started dating my wife went on a six-week mission trip to Nepal It was the worst experience of my life. I dropped her off at the airport. I cried all the way. And my parents were with me, but thankfully I had my own car. So I was like, (laughs) and then like mum and dad were like, and then I saw mum and dad was like acting normal. And they're like, we're going to go watch a movie. Do you want to join us? And I was like, I suppose, you know, it might take my mind off Jen. We went to watch this movie, ironically, Australia, with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman. Now, I've watched it in the cold, hard light of day years later, but at that moment in my life, that was the saddest movie I had ever, ever watched in my life. Nicole Kidman is always blinking, leaving Hugh Jackman, and Hugh's always leaving Nicole, and it's just nothing but heartbreak all the way through the movie. I cried like a baby all the way through it. I hopped in the car to drive back to mum and dad's where I lived because I was poor and living by faith, and I called mum and dad Faith. Hi, Faith. Thanks for helping us out. Um, <laughs> I cried and cried and cried, and she was gone for six weeks. Now, she was in rural Nepal, and occasionally she would get internet access in a local cafe. And so what we began doing every day is writing emails. Now, Jen couldn't write me an email every day because of where she was, but in fact, here's a picture of, of my gorgeous wife in Nepal. Oh, just she's gorgeous. And she's like, she is literally like Mother Teresa's sister or something like that because she's just so compassionate and kind. So this is her over in Nepal. Simultaneously, I'm sulking in somewhere in New Zealand, just having a nightmare of a time. So I would write her these long, long emails. Sometimes Jen said she would hop into an internet cafe, see so many emails, she knew she couldn't read them, so she would just print them off and read them later. And, like, and so what I was doing was I was just refreshing my phone like every two seconds for six weeks. Has you emailed me yet? No, she hasn't. Has you emailed me yet? No, she hasn't. And then occasionally it'd be like, it's like the movie, bing, you've got mail. And it's like, ooh. And this is what I'd do. I'd open up the email and here's, here's my approach. The first thing I did was I'd just do a big skim read just to get just the vibe, right? So it's like, and then it's like, all right, now I'm going to go through slowly. And I was like, Zoom in pixel by pixel. Dear Jen, oh. No, dear Sam, of course, dear Sam. <laughs> just loved the way she wrote that. It was just only she could, only she could, thanks, Shannon. Shannon's laughing. I mean, just, and I'll go through. And here's the thing over, over that time, uh, we uh, revealed our hearts to one another and we shared our fears and our dreams 
and we shed our lives and we just we revealed ourselves to one another via email. And it was actually the most fantastic start to our relationship because not only did we have that whole year just as friends, but then the first part of our relationship was just written communication. And three months later, we got engaged. Three months later, we got married. And nine years later, we got three children. And, um, and we love each other to bits to this day. But here's the thing. Here's my point. <laughs> there is one. <laughs> This is God's love letter to us. This is where God reveals his heart. This is where God reveals his nature. This is where God reveals his, his desire for everyone to know how lovely and beautiful he is. This is where we discover what he's like. And the Bible uh, is interesting. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4 that we don't live just by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. So there's two types of food that every person needs. One is physical food, like Burger King. And as you can tell, I like it a lot. This is something that me and Jen aren't in complete agreement on, to be perfectly honest. I sometimes eat Burger King on the sneaky. And she discovers little wrappers in my car from Burger King missions that I've done. But we eat this physical food that we've got to eat. Now, there's some real rubbish like that. And there's other good food. But here's the thing. The Bible is the Word of God, and it feeds our souls. It's word for our souls. And the more that you eat it, the stronger that you get. And if you want to be like Joshua and take some land for Jesus, you can't be a scrawny little anorexic warrior for Jesus. You've got to eat some food and get big and strong to be able to fight the battles that God wants you to fight. Right? And now here's the thing. I know that uh, it's not an easy book to read. That's why, interestingly, if you want to win some battles for Jesus, the first thing you've got to do is win the battle of getting into this book. Because there's two things that the enemy doesn't want you to do, and the first is to read the Bible. And the second is the next point. <laughs> They're the two trickiest things to do. But here's the thing, you, you've got to push through that and get into the Word of God. It's going to feed you. This uh, is my grandfather. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he, is the most, he was the most godly man of, I've ever known. He is my hero. Uh, our firstborn, Eli, his middle name is my grandfather's first name. Uh, my job in life is to brag about my grandfather for the rest of, of my days because he was the most godly man I knew. In World War II, he became a Christian. He knelt down on the olive fields in Greece and he gave his life to the Lord because in the context of war, it was the wake-up call he needed to think about what life was all about. And he gave his life to Jesus. He hasn't talked much about the war to me. Once or twice he mentioned that um, there was one moment, one day where he had lunch, uh, breakfast with his best friend. And at morning tea time, he had to bury him. Can you try and imagine that? Like that's when he came back to New Zealand, he married, he had children, and tragically his wife developed post, serious postnatal depression, couldn't shake it, and eventually took her life. 
He has gone through some very, very dark days. But from the moment he became a Christian, he just loved the Word of God. He would read the Bible every single day. And it shaped him, it molded him to the most godly man I've ever met. I would go hang out with my grandfather and I'd feel challenged and encouraged and rebuked and convicted and stirred up and built up. And he'd be talking about his garden. I'm like, how do you do that? But he was such a godly man, he carried the presence of God. And as he got older, his eyesight deteriorated and he couldn't read the Bible anymore by himself. And so this picture over here is my mum reading the Bible to my grandfather. And what my grandfather would do, uh, it was the, the kindest thing, the, the, the biggest treat you could give my grandfather was to read the Bible to him. And in particular, he loved the book of Ephesians. And so in the end, in his later days, we scrapped the rest of the Bible. We just read him Ephesians. It was like just giving him Bible candy. He just loved it. He was like, oh, let's not worry about this. You deserve, just let's have the Ephesians the whole time. And so we would sit down and read Ephesians and this is what he would do. We'd be reading it to him and he'd be like this. Oh, the riches of his glorious grace that you would know his indescribable love for you, the breadth, the depth, the width. And he'd be... And you could just see his soul getting fed by the word of God. Psalm 119 in the heart of the Psalms. It's the longest Psalm there is. And every single stanza in Psalm 119 is one letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And, and, and it begins, uh, and, and then it will then, the whole of Psalm 119 is talking about how beautiful this book is and how precious it is. Listen to this, this is just an excerpt. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? How, how big a question is that? How do you stay clean in a dirty world? How do you stay clean when you live in a sewer? How can you do that? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Listen, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With your lips, all the laws that come, I, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. How beautiful is that? That as I think about the, the word of God revealed here, it's like, oh, this is like great riches. I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. How many of us are neglecting the word of God? And I'm not saying that to beat you up, guys. I'm not. Here's the thing. God doesn't want to beat anyone up. He, that's not his nature. What he does is he invites us into a richer, deeper, more beautiful life. And so what he's doing in the room tonight is saying, guys, read, oh, sheesh, I'm having a real mirror over here, aren't I? Uh, read this book. Read it because it will give you such a rich life. If you want to, again, if you want to translate the passion of worship that you've got for Jesus' name into a life that goes long and faithful and impacts many, then get into this book. If you want your children's children bragging about how godly you are one day, get into this book. If you want to make an impact for God, read this book. Joshua could handle the weight of responsibility because he knew this book. He knew this book. He got into it. Treasure it. Now, here's the thing. 
Every time I even think about preaching this, you know what happens? There's this little niggle that goes, oh, they're just young people. Oh, yeah, they probably, you know, oh, this is a bit much, don't you think, Harvey? You know, dial it down. I think the devil's underestimated you guys. I really do. You guys can totally do this. You guys can totally do it. You can read your Bibles. You can read it every day. I know you can. And, and here's the thing. If you've fallen off the wagon, let's get back on again. Today, tonight, right? Why not? Like if you're serious about going hard for God, why don't we say tonight, all right, I'm going to dust this thing off. <sighs> Sorry about that, God. Um, all right, we're back on the wagon. And I'm going to read this book. Uh, one of the things I do every day is the Bible in a Year app. This is just an easy way of doing it. We live in a great age where we can actually, right now, if you're not on this, just start today. Join me reading the Bible in a year. Download the app on your phone and start tonight or start tomorrow morning. And here's, a, here's my top tip if you want to get serious about this. Because I, I tell you what, I don't want to just be passionate about Jesus for a camp. I want to be a disciple of Jesus every day of my life. And a disciple has disciplines in place. That's what a disciple means. I have things in place in my life that are going to enable me to follow the way of Jesus, the most beautiful, richest life possible that's going to have the greatest impact. So these disciplines I've got are things like reading the Bible. And here's, here's one top tip. This is what I do on my best day. Is that, you know how like, no, okay, this is, how, this is what I do. I wake up in the morning and then eventually when I'm, you know, I, I get out of bed and I'm like, oh, whatever. But normally I'm like, I see what's happening on my phone, right? Don't know if you guys know. You guys may not do this, but I'm very broken and sinful. So that's normally how I start my day. What I've decided to do is that I'm not going to be there until I've read the Bible. So I make it a rule. I'm, I always grab my phone in the morning. So how about I make a little rule that I'm not allowed Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or Casey Neistat or whatever else until I have read my Bible in a year. And do you know how long it takes? Like 10 minutes? It's just so, it's such a small amount of time for how much impact it's going to make on your life. It's, it's crazy how small the time, but here's the thing, it's not just about reading it, it's about meditating on it and thinking about it and going, how does that, and it's not an easy book to read, okay? It's 66 different books written by 40 different authors thousands of years ago in a culture and context that aren't our own, but it's the Word of God. It's alive. It's speaking to us today. And He's going to speak to you. And he's gonna, uh, there's going to be verses that pop out that you're going to be thinking about all day. If you want to live radically for Jesus, read your Bibles. Who's with me? I know it's gone quiet in here. Yeah, yeah, all right. No, okay. I needed something there. Because, and this is it. It's like you can, you can play church and play camp or you can follow Jesus. And last time I checked, we're all in. And so, all right, let's not live just by physical bread alone, but every word that comes from the Father. The people that have the greatest ministries in the world are people that love this book, who read this book, who delight in this book. Read it. Get into it. Joshua was commanded by God. If you want to, to, to take this land, you've got to get into this book. We've got a free Bible for everyone. This is like Oprah. You've got a free Bible. You've got a free Bible. You've got a free Bible. You've all got free Bibles. You've got free Bibles. <laughs> hey. 
So if you don't have a Bible, we've got one here for you. It's the New Testament, and this is uh, awesome. If you don't want to do the Bible in a year, why don't you get this and just start working your way through it from, from Matthew and just begin to read uh, a page a day. Hey, honestly, if you struggle with reading, one verse a day. Anything, just get the Word of God into you. So we've got Bibles and Matt, and that will explain uh, a little bit later about that. The second thing that Joshua did, and I was like, oh, Lord, give me grace. This first point was pretty full on. <laughs> Hold on to something or someone. It's going to get worse. No, it's going to get better. Here we go. The second thing that Joshua had in place is this. He loved the presence of God, and he would just linger and spend time with God every day. He loved the presence of God. Look at this. In Exodus 33, so this is before Joshua has done anything. And you know we all want to do significant things for Jesus, but Joshua, before he did anything significant for Jesus, he loved just being in the presence of God. He was nobody, but he just loved the presence of God. And so Moses would go into the tent where God's presence would, would dwell and, uh, and God would meet with Moses face to face. And then Moses would return to the camp. But it's interesting that Joshua, this young boy, would not leave the tent. He loved the presence of God. And so Moses would go back because there's all these jobs to do, but Joshua just loved God's presence. And so he would linger in the presence of God. Guys, it's the most beautiful thing you can do. This is why I love your hearts for worship. It's just so good to spend time in His presence. It brings clarity. It brings perspective. It brings hope. It brings healing. We meet with our friend Jesus who loves us. And so for years and years, Joshua wasn't the leader of Israel. He was just hanging out with Moses. He had the humility to learn from Moses, to be mentored by him. But the big thing is he just developed this private world with God. And so when Moses appointed Joshua as leader of Israel before he died, Joshua had the inner life that would sustain this very quick change from being just a dude hanging out in Israel to the, whole, the leader of the whole gig. And it was this beautiful private world with Jesus. And so Joshua in chapter 3, the Lord, listen, the Lord said to Joshua, now, I don't know about you, but I want some moments in my life, and I've had a couple already, where the Lord said to Sam, don't you want that? Those moments, it happens when you're in his presence. As I was saying last night, me and my wife would pray every night. Most of the time, I was like, Lord, would we please just get some sleep tonight? And then you just spend time in his presence, and then the Lord started speaking to Sam and Jen. And next minute, we're in Napier, you know? The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel so that they will know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Joshua has become the leader of Israel. And clearly people are like, Is this guy gonna like is this gonna be anything like Moses? Who is this guy? Is God with him? And the Lord speaks to Joshua. And then later in verse 17, it says, The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, this is when they're crossing the Jordan, stopped in the middle of the Jordan, stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. The Lord spoke to Joshua and said, This is what you're to do if you want to cross the Jordan to get into that promised land. And so Joshua heard the Lord, obeyed him, and the Ark of the Covenant, which tells the presence of God, they were led by the presence of God. Now, just pause for a second. The Ark of the Covenant is the hot spot of God's presence in the Old Testament. That's where His presence dwelt. Now, since Jesus died on the cross, 
the presence of God is available to every one of us. We can just step into the presence of God. At this particular point, the hot spot of God's presence was the Ark of the Covenant. You want to know how hot? This is how hot. In Isaiah chapter 6, we get a glimpse of what God's nature is like. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says this, And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now this is one of the few times in the Bible the curtain gets pulled back and we get a glimpse about what God is like. And what Isaiah saw was this. I saw some seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And at the sound of their voices, it says, the thresholds, the, the, the whole building just shaking, uh, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, seraphim are not the little chubby angels that we stick on the top of Christmas trees. <laughs> Seraphim are hardcore angels. If a seraphim angel turned up right now, we would all be incinerated with their glory in, in themselves. I mean, imagine the tallest building you've ever seen. These angels are taller than that. Imagine all the sound systems in the world in one spot turned up to 11. These angels are louder than that. Imagine every nuclear weapon, every missile, every bomb, every weapon of mass destruction, every firecracker in one location, and these angels are more powerful than that. And how do these angels respond to the presence of God? This is how they respond. They have six wings. These are creatures that exist. And with two wings, they have to cover their faces because of the glory of God. With another two, they have to cover their body to shield themselves from the holiness of God. And with the other two, they've got to fly. And so what do these angels do is they just are in this holy, holy presence of God. The only thing they can do is look at one another and worship God and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. And as they say it, it's like... This is what is, is somehow contained in the Ark of the Covenant. The presence and the glory and the holiness of God. And so what does God say to Joshua time and time again? Here's the thing. If you want to cross the Jordan, you've got to be led by my presence. If you want to take Jericho, how do they take Jericho if you've been reading through Joshua? They walked around it with the Ark of the Covenant and they worshipped him. Here's the thing, guys. If you want God to move powerfully in your life, love is presence. Love is presence. Because there's two options. You can either try and swim over the Jordan, good luck, or you can go with His presence and see Him do what only He can do. If you may want to take a city like Jericho, you've got two options. You can try and take the wall down brick by brick and get completely slaughtered by the Jericho folk. Or you can worship God and let the presence of God do what only He can do. And so if there's rivers in your life that you can't cross, get close to His presence and see what He does. If you're looking at your school and you're like, how can we reach my school for Jesus? Don't worry about trying to do that. Just get close to His presence and see what happens. Love His presence. The two things that you need to do if you want to be used by God are the two things that Joshua did. He knew his Bible inside out and he loved the presence of God. And so I want to challenge you if you're all in to make a commitment to spend time with Jesus every day when no one else is watching. 
Go for a long, you know, I used to love this. Like you guys are young people. Don't like, when you get old and boring like me and Matt, you know, it's a bit trickier to do radical things because you've got children and you've got wife and you've got mortgage and this and stuff. But, you know, back in the day, me and Shannon would have these, like, I don't know if you remember this, mate, the, we'd have these all-night prayer meetings. We used to have this thing called the Munter Gathering. So awesome. It was like outreach into our uh, local town. We would, like, hire this big circus tent and we'd have, like, fire jugglers and we'd have tall bikes. You know, we stick two, mountain, uh, two um, ten-speed bikes, we'd weld them together and have tall bike jousting. It was crazy. Um, and then we'd do these outreaches. But we would just pray our little hearts out. And so we would go out into Rikio Rangi, which is like this kind of, um, like the middle of the Wop Wops or whatever you guys call it. And, um, and we'd like have a bonfire and we'd just pray all night, literally all night. And we'd just pray and we'd worship. Go hard. Like don't, like you guys are radical. You aren't boring. And I know I can feel it in the room. You don't want to live some ho-hum, boring Christian life. And it's not, it's the lamest sort of Christian life ever. Live radically for God. Go for long walks in the forest on your own and pray all night and do radical things just seeking the presence of God. Go for it. But set things in place in your life so that you withdraw. Constantly the disciples were like, where's Jesus gone? And it's like, oh, he snuck off to just have, have time on his own with his heavenly Father. Jesus lived this sort of life. And you know what it means, turning off your phone? It means like living countercultural and just going, instead of just being all about the crowd and all about social media, I'm going to withdraw to lonely places. That's what Jesus called them. And I'm just going to hang out with my heavenly Father and just enjoy communion and intimacy with Him. He, guess, guys, listen, He loves hanging out with you. He loves it. Like, when you do those sort of things, he's like, oh, I love hanging out with you. Oh, hi, Luca. I only know Luca, who's on AV and a few others. Hello, Luca, you know, oh, it's good to see you again, you know. And God just loves hanging out with you. And he misses you sometimes because it would be like, for some of us, the only time we hang out with Jesus is in a crowd. Can you imagine if that was how me and my wife hung out? Be like, the only time I see my wife is in a group situation. <laughs> it would be like, uh, this is a little bit of a weird relationship. God wants to hang out just with you. Um, I love the fact you guys have got this prayer venue after, uh, as one of the venues after the main meeting. Why don't you go there tonight and just linger? Now, people will come up to you and say, do you want some prayer? And if you do, why don't you get some? But I think for a lot of us, we just need to hang out with Jesus on our own. So just really nicely just say, go away, bug off, uh, you know, and they'll, and they'll just leave you alone. And that'll be the code word for I just want to hang out with Jesus on my own. But why don't you, even over this camp, go for a walk on your, I mean, oh no, don't do that. Well, Jesus was very good when crowds were all around him at find sneaky, quiet places just to hang out with Jesus, to hang out with his heavenly Father. And why don't you do that? And guys, build this into your lives every day. Here's the thing. The main battle that every one of us are going to face isn't an external battle. It's a battle for our internal worlds. That's the number one battle every one of us face. And that's, that's the case for me. Like the number one battle isn't what am I going to do to bless Napier? The number one battle is what's in place so that my inner world is getting fed in such a way that I'm carrying the presence of God into Napier. And when you're carrying the presence of God, stuff begins to happen because where the presence of God is, the kingdom is breaking in. 
And I loved what YWAM Sam was saying this morning. You know, his crazy East Timor prayer story where the presence of God as the kingdom starts breaking in. I loved his faith. Let's pray that the weather would be sweet. And then they prayed again when they went to their project and they're one of the few groups that had some blue skies, right? Like, that's pretty cool. This is faith because God does that sort of thing. And tonight we're going to pray that God would part some waters and pull down some walls because his presence is here and he wants to do what only he can do. But the number one battle you're going to face is not some external battle, it's an internal battle for your soul. And here's, I land with this. When Jesus died on the cross, he said this, it is finished. And what did he mean by that? Everything that, you need, that, that needs to be done for you to be accepted by God has been accomplished on the cross. So I don't read my Bible and pray to be acceptable to God. Jesus has done that. I read my Bible and I pray because I love Him so much. I want to get near Him and I want to be like Him. That's why I do it. And the more I do it, the more I eat the bread of life. And the more I'm in His presence, it's like the living waters fill my life. And I become fully alive, increasingly in His presence. And so I say that because here's the reality, is that we fall off the wagon all the time when it comes to prayer and reading the Bible. Amen? All the time. we fall. And again, I'm not here to dish out some condemnation sandwiches and just make you feel rats. I'm not. It's Freedom Conference. God came to bring us, move us from guilt and fear to grace and freedom. But I'm telling you, He's inviting us tonight once more to say yes to reading His Word daily and to being in His presence as much as we can. He's saying, come back to that place. And the only reason I am standing up here preaching tonight is because I learned many years ago to let my mistakes propel me towards God, not away from Him. Let your sin propel you towards God, not away from Him. Run to the one who can make you clean. And so I say that because when I, uh, it's been a mission for me, it's been a battle all of my life to read this book. And I would fall off the wagon. But here's the thing. When I fell off the wagon, I'd be like, that's it. I'm getting back on the wagon. And then I would fall off the wagon again with prayer or the Bible. And that has been the story. I hate to depress you. (laughs) That has been the story of my life for years and years and years. But here's the thing. One day, I'm going to be a wagon dweller. Because I have chosen 10,000 times, 20,000 times to get back on the wagon and there'll be a point when it's just who I am. Because I've chosen it time and time again and I've got back on the wagon and I've run to God and I've asked for forgiveness and I've been cleansed and then I'm back on the wagon. And you know what? The enemy wants to keep you off the wagon. Some of you guys have been off the wagon for far too long. And you know how easy it is to get back on the wagon? It's easy. Just get back on the wagon. Just say, I'm sorry, God. All right, we're starting again today. If you do that consistently, you'll turn into my grandfather. You will. If you consistently choose it, you'll turn into my grandfather, who didn't even have to try, but he transformed the whole family line. I'm going to talk to you about that tomorrow night. Like, he has... The reason I'm here today is because of his prayers and his faithfulness. Honestly, it's, it's incredible. You'll, you will make a lasting impact. You will see Jericho's walls fall down. You will see rivers that seem impassable. You'll be able to walk through them because your love is word and your love is presence. 
And so I want to invite you tonight to get back on the wagon if you've fallen off and to say yes. And so, Matt, why don't you join me? We're gonna, there's two things we're going to uh, do tonight in terms of prayer. Uh, but the first is this. Tonight, if you want to make a fresh commitment to reading your Bible every day, in a second I'm going to invite you to stand up. Cool, eh? Because you're all in. And it's like, all right. Jesus was like, don't just hear my words, do them. Like, you, I, can't, I can't read your Bible for you. Only you can do that. But why don't tonight, even, and, and guys, it, doesn't, can, it can be one verse, or you could commit to read the whole New Testament for the rest of camp. I don't care. But it's a sense of, I am going to make a fresh commitment to drench myself in the Word of God, to soak in it, for this to become the, the bread of life for my soul. And the second thing is a commitment to say, I'm going to pursue the presence of God. And tomorrow morning after the main meeting, I'm doing a little Bible study somewhere, and I'm going to do a little Bible study on how to pray, just a framework for help, to help you with your quiet times. But uh, that's the thing that I'm going to, I want to challenge you tonight, is to say, yes, I'm going to, uh, I'm all in, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going, to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pursue His presence. Is that cool? And then we're going to do some other stuff. So if that's you, why don't you stand right now and say, yep, I'm in. I want to do that. I'm going to make that commitment tonight to read my Bible and to pray. No dramas if it's not you. I respect the fact that if you're like, hey, I'm not there yet. All good. This, This isn't about anything other than you and God right now. So let's just close our eyes and and good on you guys. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I just I pray right now you'd feel the weight of this moment. Like this isn't a small decision or just a camp high thing. I just pray right now there'd be this deep conviction that this is the life you want to live. The life of just soaking yourself in the Word of God, of reading your Bible, of just mining it for the beauty and the depth and the freedom that we find in that place. So how about I pray? Father, we want to say to you, and if you feel happy just putting your palms out to God, like you would receive someone giving you something. Father, we just want to say to you tonight, we are hopping back on the wagon tonight. Uh, Here, Tuesday, we are getting back on the wagon tonight. And we are choosing to do exactly what Sam has shared about tonight. That your word would be our food that your presence would be our life. And so Holy Spirit, come and teach us to be like Jesus.